The Incomparable is sponsored by Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support The Incomparable and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com slash Snell. That's HuluPlus.com slash Snell. Or go to our show page at 5x5.tv slash Incomparable slash 156 and click on the Hulu Plus link. The Incomparable, number 156, August 2013. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different from what we usually cover, which is, uh, you know, geeky movies and TV shows and books and comics and stuff like that. This is going to be an experiment I like to call the Old Movie Club. We have... Old Movie Club. Old Movie Club. I was watching an old movie and thinking to myself, I am completely illiterate when it comes to movies made before uh, the 80s, probably, uh, with very few exceptions. And those exceptions are the boring exceptions. It's 2001, or it's uh, Gone with the Wind, or The Wizard of Oz, or Casablanca, the ones that everybody already knows. So I have uh, enlisted an expert who is a 90-year-old man. No. (laughs) At heart. At heart. I have the heart of a 90-year-old man, and I'm not giving it back no matter how much he screams. <laughs> what, what does he have? So our, our mentor in this uh, journey into, uh, into old movies is the voice you just heard, which is his first appearance outside of uh, the radio drama, that is, on this podcast. It is Philip Michaels. Hello. You have a podcast? It turns I, I've kept it from That's you. Some panelists for <laughs> for certain reasons I have kept it from you, but I'm glad you could. Uh, Steve was asking earlier why you haven't been on before, and I said it's because he's not interested in any of the things we talk about. So yeah, here, I assumed well, it was hatred. Here we are. I, I contain multitudes. And joining me on this adventure of watching a couple of old movies that Phil assigned to us are uh, my guests tonight, David Lore. Hello. Hi. Um. This is the Marmaduke episode, right? It may be. If we wait around long enough, it could that could happen. Cool. Or cool. the Magnum right. PI episode, also possible. Ooh, even better. Steve Lutz is also here. Hello, Steve. Good evening, Jason. I too know nothing of old films. All right. Other See? than the two that I have watched now. That's right. We're like babes in the woods. That's not entirely true. I've seen a lot of bad fifties films via Mystery Science, but Right. Generally avoided the good stuff. Things that, things that are actually good. <laughs> yep. Um, and Dan Morin is also here because he's contractually obligated to be on every podcast. Hi, Dan. You know, I'm actually a bit of a <laughs> ringer, which was I had already seen both of these movies. <gasps> what? Son I, of a... I, I, I didn't realize it was it was a necessity we hadn't seen them. I, I had seen and loved both of these movies, but... Uh, that's okay. that you don't oh, yeah. get Lex Friedman on the line immediately. He hasn't seen <laughs> He still hasn't seen them, though. When when the amateurs basically clam up and are like, I don't know, uh, Alec Guinness is pretty funny, uh, then, Dan, you can jump in with your your seasoned knowledge. I don't don't want to take anything away from Phil, who is the master. If if he's the master, I'm only a journeyman in this regard. Fair enough. Alec Guinness is kind of funny. He was my top talking point, so now you... (laughs) Boy, that Obi-Wan Kenobi sure can tell a joke. But were you going to tell it that exact same way? Yes! Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I've ruined That's everything. All I got. Good night, everybody. Right. Good so, night. so Phil, the um, premise here, I, I asked you to come up with some ideas for old movies we could watch, and you came up with a few different 
sort of themed choices of two or three movies that fit a theme. And what right. we tried to pick some that were readily available. So one of these movies is available on Netflix, and one of them is available at least for rental on iTunes. So both there, are there, available for rental on iTunes because oh, I, I rented both this week to to review them so that I wouldn't say ridiculous things. So un, unlike in in our anime club episode where John Syracuse had chose movies that are essentially unavailable unless you sell a kidney in Japan. <laughs> Which is surprisingly easy to do. Well, you have to get a ticket to Japan and you have to have a spare kidney. But otherwise, yes, exactly. So uh, so these are available. And the ones we settled on was uh, was heists, right? That was the... Caper movies. Caper Capers. movies. A Capers. night of caper movies. Good choice. Yes, the most the most delicious of all condiments, the caper, mm. Mm. better than the ketchup movie. So, so we we picked two <laughs> movies to watch, both from the nineteen fifties, both as from it the nineteen fifties, which was um, which was not uh, not by design actually, but uh, it worked out well. Yeah, so we get we got a movie from nineteen fifty one and a movie from nineteen fifty six. Uh, and I thought maybe Phil could start by explaining why he chose these two movies. So the first one is a comedy, a British comedy. Uh, right. It's uh, The Lavender Hill Mob. Lavender and, Hill Mob. Um, the reason I, I chose this one is... Because Alec Guinness is kind of funny. He kind of well, funny. Alec Guinness <laughs> is kind of funny. It's um, from a movie studio in England, that uh, the, the Ealing Studios, and they... Uh, they uh, made a, a name for themselves uh, uh, among film buffs for for producing comedies of this sort that are sort of like looks at the British character and, and uh, society and, and, and that sort of thing. And many of them, in fact, star Alec Guinness, who is a bit of a comedy genius. And this is, I think, the the my favorite Ealing Studio movie. Um, I, I first stumbled across it. The director of it directed A Fish Called Wanda, actually, huh. in uh, ni- the 1980s. And that is... Um, one of my favorite uh, movie comedies of all time. So uh, I did not know that. Digging deep back into the, the the archives of of stuff that people do, I noticed that he uh, did a comedy with Ben Kenobi, and I thought, oh, I should look up that. And, <laughs> uh, and, and there we go. It's a. Um, uh, should, should we talk about the second movie first, or, or do, do we want to launch into the Lavender Hill? Well, let, let's let's recap. So the second movie that we that we watched is from 1956. It's called The Killing. It's not to be confused with that TV show where they promised that you'd have a resolution after the first season, and then they it turned out that was a horrible lie. Yes. Now, things actually happen in this The Killing. It, yes, and it's direct. It's directed by somebody you may know. As a little the, director I like to call. Well, it's the director of Eyes Wide Shut and uh and oh, that's and, and Barry, and Barry Lyndon. Lyndon. <laughs> so he's not a or, or you could say yeah like 2001 a space odyssey or something he almost like made that. it big or the or the shinning the kids are all <laughs> right it's which was a sequel to the killing right it's stanley kubrick yeah Hack. and um, young stanley kubrick it's a little like muppet babies and it stars probably um if you're not a, a fan of old movies, it stars nobody you've heard of. Um, the lead actor is a fellow called Sterling Hayden, and he he had a, a, a nice little run in the 1950s. He's probably most well-known as the corrupt police captain in The Godfather, oh, uh, who, who yeah. Michael Corleone shoots. Uh, how's the Italian food in this joint? That guy. That's him. You have the square jaw. And- I frisked a million young punks. Yeah, he's he's like um he's like Mr. Nondescript Waspy guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's just yeah. like, "Hey, I'm he's, a guy." He's, he's a tough guy. He's I got a, a plan. A, his big his big role in the the in the 1950s if you needed a movie tough guy, you called Sterling Hayden. I'm uh I'm looking up on uh, IMDb who else they had in this role. 
um, who they were trying to get for the role because it's basically, can we get this movie tough guy? No, well, get me Sterling Hayden then. Um, and he and he's nice. And Elisha Cook Jr. is also in the movie. Yeah, I was um, say. Yes, who you may sense. remember, not at all, from a, a little movie <laughs> I like to call the Maltese Falcon. Uh, or who you may remember from a TV show called Magnum P.I., where he played Ice Pick. That's right. Or I feel like I've right. seen him in about 6,000 things. You you have. Yeah, he, he does a lot of things. Playing the exact same character every single time. He's got a distinctive face. Yeah. Yeah, no, he basically, he his the role he perfected was, I am a sad sack. <laughs> and uh, I, I am a sad sack, and bad things happen to me, and I get I get roughed up and and usually killed. He was the Steve Buscemi, I think, of his era. Humphrey Bogart beats uh, the crap out so, of him, the Maltese Falcon. So, <laughs> Phil, you 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 don't know because you're not a gigantic nerd like me. But he, the, where I know Elisha Cook from is he played, and I have to say it this way because you're exactly right. He played sad sack defense attorney Samuel T. Cogley in mm-hmm. Star Trek. He defends Captain Kirk and his court-martial. And oh, yeah. And in the episode Court-Martial. In the episode called Court-Martial, where he <laughs> plays the court-martial. How'd they come up with that title? Star Trek? Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's an old show. <laughs> it sounds like a combination of science and fiction. Yes. And that it might be aimed it, it at kids. Be. It's no, no Magnum P.I. Uh, Let's just well, put it that okay. way. Far right, fewer episodes were, were aired never fly. of Star Trek than of Magnum P.I. All you need to know about Elisha Cook Jr. is that in the Maltese Falcon, he plays the young gunman who gets roughed up by Humphrey Bogart, yeah, and that is the that is the manliest he is ever on camera again. <laughs> that is the that is the high point of Elisha Cook as a movie tough. Doesn't he like pull down his jacket and like yeah, like, and trap takes him his in guns it? away from him and says to, yeah, to Sidney Greenstreet, a, a crippled newsy took these away from him. I made him give them back, <laughs> and that is Elisha <laughs> Cook's. This is my <laughs> moment of manliness. <laughs> Because oh. in uh, Shane, he is gunned down like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so where where should we start? Uh, should we talk about Lavender Hill Mob first, since it was chronologically? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that first. Let's do that. It's the it's the lighter movie. <laughs> a little bit. A few laughs, laughs in that one. A little little bit. <laughs> I got a lot of laughs out of the second one. We'll get honest. there. The, the, these two movies have the same ending, though, which I think is interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll, well, we'll get to that. That's true. Hmm. Thematically, yeah. Yeah, so the Lavender Hill Mob. Phil, you know this movie better than me. Do you want to explain what happens to what the Lavender Hill Mob is about? Sure, I will. I will give the uh, the the ninety nine cent tour of the plot. Um, uh, it is uh, Alec Guinness is a bank clerk in uh, in London, and his job is to accompany the gold bullion on its way from where it's smelted to the uh, bank, and where it's dealt uh, and. <laughs> He uh, he's sort of this uh, perceived as this wormy guy, but he has big dreams, and 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 uh, he's actually plotted out a way to rob all the gold bullion. But all he needs is a is a partner, and uh, the partner arrives in the form of Stanley Holloway, who moves into his boarding house in Lavender Hill, which is where where the title of the movie comes from. Stanley right. Holloway, you may remember him from such movies as My Fair Lady, where he plays Alfred P. Doolittle, a common common dustman um he in this movie a totally different character a bit of an artist and he knows how to melt things down hey that's that's handy if you want to get gold bullion out of the uh out of the country and um uh to make ends meet he works at a factory where they manufacture cheap eiffel tower uh uh uh, souvenirs and so made of lead Made of lead, and um, Alec Guinness and Stanley Holloway uh, uh, hatch on this plot that what they're going to do is they'll rob the rob the the delivery truck, 
melt down the gold bars and uh, turn them into Eiffel Towers that the that will then be shipped out of the country with no one suspecting that they're really made of, of gold and they'll be retrieved in France. And the rest of the movie is them um, uh, recruiting a couple other uh, hapless gangsters to join their mob. <laughs> Um, in uh, one of my, uh, I have a couple favorite scenes in the movie and the movie where they, they basically set up a trap to trap to, to trap crooks to, uh, to, and it's, it's very funny because a couple of different crooks show up to rob the place that the plot goes hilariously awry. The, <laughs> they, they make away with the, the gold, but, uh, complications ensue. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to give away any of the rest of the plot because there are a few, you know, surprises and a few uh, pleasing moments of discovery, including um, the the final shot of the movie, which we which we won't talk about. Yeah, we won't. Now, to be to to be fair, it, it is a sixty two year old movie. We could probably <laughs> spoil it. Spoilers are reasonably safe. Here. Okay, okay, sh- shall we talk about the the ending of the movie? Or yeah, shall let's we ta- let's let's fire off the old timey spoiler horn now. Yes. This is Dwight David Eisenhower. A spoiler is coming. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> no problem. I'm going back to planning the D-Day invasion. I'm not president yet. I'm oh. only a general. Oh, all right. Thank you, General. You're welcome. I like your political prospects in the future, but... Well, I, I might go become president of Columbia first. <laughs> That's the university, not the picture studio. Or the country. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, so the the movie begins with a framing device where it's Alec Guinness living living a life of luxury in um, I guess Brazil, and um, he's, he's spending th- money like he's got to spend it all right then or never again. He is just right. given money and and everybody loves him and they're like, hey, you're so great. And we and we should point out that this is not he is not suave. He is not um, he is he is. Um, he is wormy little Alec Guinness. He is just, a gigantic nerd sitting there. Just, yes, table. it's it like if Bill Gates were were cast in this movie, it would be a perfect uh, perfect uh, uh, setting. <laughs> he has a real Burgess Meredith thing going for him here. I, yeah, I kind of expect him mm. to break his glasses at some point and be horribly lost. And Audrey Hepburn stops by at one. Audrey yeah, Hepburn in, in her first movie role, I believe. Yeah, I was going to say if if Audrey Hepburn walks by and you know I, I have a pile of money, I think I probably give her as some Chiquita. Money. Hey, Chiquita, here's some cash. The story there apparently is that she was she was going to have a bigger role in the movie and she couldn't do it because she had to be in a play. But Alec Guinness was so taken with her that he insisted that she she like get a smaller part. Yeah, this is well. This is what two years before um, Roman Holiday, which was her sort of breakout role. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and uh, then Alec Guinness turns and tells his story to the guy sit, seated, seated next to him at the uh, at the uh, table in in this Brazilian club, and uh, thus the story unfolds. And then, when at the end, it's revealed that oh, he he had come to arrest Alec Guinness because they're handcuffed together, and it's yes. it's just a very. Uh, it's a fun little uh, uh, way to wrap up the picture. And suddenly you realize why, when you were watching that opening scene, you felt sort of odd about the way he was handing out the money. Yes. yes. Why is he only using his one hand? <laughs> the, both of these movies actually have conceits, and we, when we get to the other one, I'll talk about the other one, but, but conceits that I always think of as being uh, in vogue in modern movies, where they play with perspective and they play with time and things like that, and yet both of these movies do the same thing. This is a, this is a perfect example of one of these things where I would, I would think of it as a, a, a very overused modern trick of, well, he, by letting us know that he escapes... Then it changes how we view the entire movie, and then at the end, it does the little 
double cross and you realize that they did catch up to him and he's and then he's held out in his his handcuffs i i i guess one one of the things i learned here is that um these tricks are even older and more in more hackneyed in some ways than i thought because mm-hmm. they go back for 60 years if you thought they were overused now yeah the the narrative part of it that was interesting to me which also kind of applies to both of them is that our our heroes who are you know anti-heroes in a way uh, but like lovable anti-heroes sure. to a certain extent. Maybe maybe not so much in the killing, but in this one anyways, they don't get away with it, right? Like today, I think if we had the sort of roguish, you know, guy who's we were rooting for, he would get away at the end. Like I think even if you did a framing device like this, he would he would somehow like get a, come out on top, which does not really happen. I'm I'm going off the internet here, but um, or, or originally they were thinking about having them get away with it, and the reason they changed it is because they thought that the movie wouldn't get imported into America. Right, crime, crime doesn't crime, pay, crime, kids. Crime doesn't pay. Right. That was my question, actually, I, that I was going to ask whether any of the caper films of the period actually end with the thieves getting away scot-free, or is there just something in the, the motion picture code that says that the long arm of the law must prevail at the end? There was definitely in the U.S. code the, that you had to, uh, that you couldn't, have people enjoying crime or or reaping the reaping the long you don't have jimmy cagney going well that was a life well led <laughs> well guinness gets yeah. a year yeah he gets he, a year of uh of audrey hepburn and uh you know hanging with generalissimos i'm not sure how much i believe that story just because i don't i don't think of ealing studios as go we've got to crack the american market boys <laughs> so change the ending of the movie i i i think they probably uh, uh, didn't want to upset the conventions and the mores of the time, and so that's that's why they probably have the ending that they do. Yeah, I mean, you you don't really see people getting away with it until like the Pink Panther, where, again, to spoil it, um, the hero, no. <laughs> the hero gets framed. He's a, he's and, a panther in the end. That's and, the sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's out. Of the you know, I was always disappointed that he wasn't. <laughs> so so the cat's out of the bag. Oh, uh, oh, and uh, David Niven gets away with it, you know, but that, you know, I can't remember if anyone gets away with it before I mean, that. David get, David Niven gets away with it, but then isn't any in any of the sequels, right? So often when they got away, when you get away with scams and cons, it was because you were taking someone who deserved to get taken. Right. So what's interesting about the Lavender Hill mob, the way I looked at it is it, it, they don't get away with it, but you are made to sympathize with them. And like Alec Guinness, there's that scene where they try to promote him. So he's literally like, he has to do the job on on that Friday because that he's going to get a, a, they promoted him to a different job. Finally, after 19 years. After 19 years of this awful menial job. <laughs> and he's going to get an extra like six shillings a week or something. 15 shillings oh, a week. Oh, 15 shillings a week. Yeah. But it's really, I mean, for, for that's me, like that's 7, like- $7,000 in today's money. It's not. It's like eight cents. I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I don't know what what shillings convert into, but I just I got the sense from that that it's like okay, what you've done is you've taken away the job that he actually uh, is good at, and you've given him almost no extra money <laughs> to do this other job. No wonder he wants to steal your gold. So I, I was immediately sympathetic to Alec Guinness because I felt like you know this is a terrible job. And they don't pay him well, and he, of course, you should always the guys who handle the gold pay them well. That's what I say. I or a like comedy. A- there's a there's a quiet yearning to the to the Alec Guinness character about a a fella who uh, who knows that this is the the best he's going to get in life, but uh, yet tries to reach for more. Yes, and they're not very maudlin about it, but it's a it's a very uh, it's a very well constructed <laughs> character. 
No, he's, he's very lucky subtle. to have that guy uh, move into his uh, his uh, his building, who uh, who just happens to be involved in the melting down of gold. That the very of week that he's going to be promoted yes. at last. Well, it all works out. It is. Well, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the way Ealing Studios comedies work. Right, the certain amount of coincidence and contrivance, but the end result still is is pretty delightful. What I love about the movie, and and I think one of the reasons why I picked it is I I think it's just um, superbly plotted because within 15 minutes they've outlined the entire caper. This is how we're going to rob the money. Within 30 minutes, they're pulling off the caper and and pulling it off, not really according to the elaborate plan that they 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 uh, hatched out. And then it, it's just it. There's really not a wasted scene in it. There's really not a scene where they have to go back and explain. Uh, now remember, this is the caper we're doing. The, the, even when they bring in the uh, the two other hoodlums into their into their little gang, they the the script is written in such a way that you don't have uh, double exposition. Although it does all fall down on kind of a a ridiculous contrivance, which is that a French woman can't tell the difference between an R and an R. Well, <laughs> for me, the the, the movie sort of uh, I, I I enjoy it, but it sort of goes off the rails. Um, once they um once they leave france yeah well it, it does it does get a little bit convincing because then you've got the uh, the eiffel towers they go home with the school children yeah and then one of them makes its way to a police exposition where there yeah, happens right. to be a chemist <laughs> testing gold from the robberies and <laughs> well that is hilariously ridiculous though but it's great no it's great it's fantastic and as as a little bit of background, what happens is the the Eiffel Tower, the the gold Eiffel Towers are shipped to France, and they're supposed to sit in a warehouse. But someone can't tell the difference between the R and the R, and so ah, they and R. they yeah. start selling the uh, the. That makes the sense because he's an Englishman, and he would have said R as ah. She might have yeah. picked it up as an A as opposed to an R. And they uh, they start selling the gold Eiffel Towers to these English schoolgirls. What and I so, told Phil is just you know don't get the French involved. Yeah. That's the lesson of this movie is just <laughs> right, don't right. trust that don't trust the sense. French with anything yes. of value. What I did appreciate about that whole bit though was that we've been presented the Alec Guinness character who has a, a what I would call a periodic speech impediment. Occasionally, you know, his R's kind of come and go. Yes. He's, he's mm. not really super consistent with whether he says them or not. But in a modern movie, that would the plot would hinge on that in some way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very much so. And in this movie, it's it's just there. I mean, he's he just happens to have a speech impediment. There's really no purpose of it. There's no point at all. And in the end, where a modern movie would have had you know the problem with the French lady hinge on his speech impediment, it turns out to be the other guy, whose A's and R's get confused. It has nothing to do with with uh, with the Guinness character's speech impediment at all. What I, what I really love about Guinness in this movie is the brief moments you get of him really relishing this role there's yeah. that scene where he's like they're like well you're the boss and he's like yes yes i am and you you get a little bit of that too there's a scene where he tells them to leave uh some of the gold in the truck that they rob um and they're kind of like what are, you, what are you talking about there's like seventy five thousand pounds there you know we, we can make all this money and he says no just you know leave it and there's a there's a certain amount of you know like steel in his voice at that point <laughs> Um, which is interesting for a character who is so mild-mannered. But like y- you get the feeling, again, if this was a modern movie, that it would turn into sort of more his descent into hardened criminal, right? It never goes that way. But like there, you could, you could kind of see how that might develop. This isn't the Lavender Hill mob is breaking bad, right? 
Right. No. Not, right. not, not happening. He's, he's just relishing not being the lowest man on the totem pole for yeah. a change. Right, right. Exactly. But it's, it's, Guinness does such a great job of balancing those two aspects of that character. Well, as Jason pointed out earlier, um, uh, that, that Alec Guinness is a funny guy. Um, <laughs> at, and this would be as good a time to discuss that as any. I, I think, you know, most audiences, most people our age are going to, he's, he's, there's, Obi-Wan Kenobi, what are you doing here? Or if you are uh, uh, have a wider film vocabulary, you know him from Bridge on the River Kwai, or you, you know him from from uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. But he really, um, if you dig deep into his filmography, he does a lot of really great comic work. Besides uh, this movie, he did Kind Hearts and Cornets, where he plays... In which he plays like a dozen he roles. He plays everybody. Right, a dozen de- roles, including <laughs> a lady. Uh, and he is a hideous-looking lady. I, I, I just want to stipulate that right now. He's uh he was in the original Lady Killers. He was Man in the um, white suit. Uh, he another great Ealing Studios comedy is um, Our Man in Havana, where again mm-hmm. he plays kind of a wormy guy who who rises above his station. And um, if you if you get a chance, if you if you reject uh, uh, films that are in black and white, try and rent Neil Simon's Murder by Death because in that movie he's oh, a yeah. he's the butler. He's, he's terrific in that. He's the blind butler, <laughs> Benson Mum. So after they get back from France, I, I, it's a, it's a, a different movie. Which is not to yeah. say it isn't wacky. It's actually, in some ways, I found it the most memorable part of the movie is that there is this ridiculous. They go to the school to try and bribe or I guess just exchange the Eiffel Towers for the lead Eiffel Towers but then there's the one girl who refuses to give it to them because In she a contrivance over which the teacher doesn't bat an eye no by the way <laughs> these men came all the way from France to exchange your uh, your miscast they were perfectly willing to give them five shillings for for each uh, <laughs> transfer it's 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 certainly normal uh but what but she takes the girl takes the uh, the the gold statue to the to the worst place possible if you're a robber, which is like the police expo, which the, they is that a thing? apparently have. And there's a demonstration there of by a scientist who c- can prove that things are gold. Just boy, that's bad luck. And there's a whole at the police expo. There's this whole wacky when they essentially just decide to grab the the statue and run because they're going to be found out. And then they're in, they have this crazy chase through the police expo, and then there's a whole crazy car chase, which involves them stealing a police car and pretending to and radioing in bad information to the police cars. And it's uh, it's there's lots of action, and it's funny, and it's weird, and I I, don't know, I enjoyed that part a lot. It's a bit too madcap for my taste, actually. Like like I said, I. For me, the high point of the movie ends when they're trying to get back from France, and they, they there's this whole bit of business where they're trying to get on the boat to in Calais, and and oh, you've got to go through customs, and oh, you've got to buy the tickets, and 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 both Alec Guinness and Stanley Holloway are are, are freaking out, and it's that's a very funny bit um, and a very uh, uh, nice bit of controlled madness. Whereas I think once they have the uh, the car chase scene, it gets a little bit too Benny Hill for my taste. The way that he eventually actually gets away is actually quite understated, right? Because he goes into the tube, and they follow him in, and he comes out again, and then he goes back around and goes in, just very calmly goes in again, and that's how he eventually gets away, which I thought was very, very clever. And it's a sly little commentary on society because it's, oh, he's able to blend in because he's a wormy guy, and we're all, we're all wormy guys. (laughs) 
I like the confusion in the cars, though. There's a nice moment where they're like car four, car four, and they're like, "Aha, car four is a fake." And he's like, "You said you said we were car four, but we're car we're car three. And and it's, so he's smart. He he throws them. He's very devious, and he throws them off the scent. Plus, the cops are kind of. Um, I'm not going to say they're like uh, Dukes of Hazard level cops. Key- Keystone cops. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call Keystone cops in uh, in England? Are they like? Breckenridge Bobbies. <laughs> One of the inspectors, I believe, is Christopher Hewitt. Yes. yes you, may, you may recognize from such TV shows as Mr. Belvedere and Ghost of Mr. Belvedere. One of the chemists at the exhibition is apparently Robert Shaw in his yes. movie role. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. A lot of, lot of, lot of, hey, you are in this, the, in this Before movie. Before you were big. Apparently Alec Guinness would get very angry if you would come up to him and try to talk about Star Wars. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, can you blame him with this no, story I career? I, I, that was one movie out of 52 that I made. <laughs> Something else that struck me about this movie, and just the difference between a caper film in 1951 and what you would see today, was just how relatively simplistic it was. I mean, the heist, frankly, there's not that much to it. Yeah, there are no lasers and mirrors mm-hmm. and video cameras to duplicate and right. all of those things we've seen a million times. No one it's, is switching thumbprints. No one is uh, pulling re- off a pulling off a mask no. pretending to be someone else. Right. I'll be in the truck. And and where a modern movie would have taken, you know, it would have piled a minor error onto a misunderstanding and it would have dragged it out for the rest of the film, sort of building and building. This heist just, I mean, there there are some minor issues with the heist, but it kind of goes off without too big of a hitch. I, I guess audiences of the 50s could only take so much tension, but... Uh, well, they set you up to think it's going to go wrong, right? When that when he accidentally, when Stanley accidentally steals the painting, you know, walks away with the painting, and, and all of a right. sudden the police are all over there, and he's meant to be causing a distraction, which he does anyways by having virtue of, you know seeming to have stolen a painting and their accomplices are supposed to rough up alec guinness to make it look like he's been robbed but they they panic and flee the scene so alec guinness has to rough himself up which is a great bit of physical comedy which works so well that the police think he's a hero right well the the idea that movies today are more complicated is partly because we have this template right (laughs) no one's ever gonna rob our gold truck again (laughs) well they they hadn't seen the same story over and over and over again whereas you know by now we've got 60 70 years of the same movie ideas so they have to jack it up it's like what more can we do what can we pile on to surprise you just just a few things have changed in the last 60 years or so. that you too, know, it's, it's yeah. funny that uh, the the twist at the end that i actually didn't pick up on until maybe just a few seconds before it actually went off I, I realized the reason I didn't pick up on that was because I was expecting that cliche not to have existed in 1951. Yeah, yeah. Ah. So I was sort of surprised yeah. when it actually turned out. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a cliche at the time. It was probably exactly. one of the first instances of it. But I thought it was surely before that had come to be. So it was kind of a, a bit of a surprise. Well, and that, that's, I, I was actually going to talk about that with the, the next film, too. I'll wait. I'll wait. I, I do need to say this about the Lavender Hill Mob. Oh, sure. You'd Look Swell in a Shroud is probably the greatest title for a book ever. <laughs> or a radio drama episode, for that matter. That's the that book yes. that Alec Guinness is reading to the to little the old, old lady. lady. Yeah. I love when the cops in- interrogate her later. <laughs> She's asking all these like questions in this hard-boiled crime slang. The little old lady who lives in the, um, in the boarding house on Lavender Hill is one of the unsung heroes of that movie. They really should have built up her role more. 
Well, the, the owner who calls them naughty men is also quite wonderful. She'd be in on it today. Like, yeah. she'd be an accomplice. Oh, yeah. She'd be the one who got away with all the money at the yeah, end, is how it would end, work. Yeah. If I had somebody who every time I came home drunk from a bar opened the door and called me a naughty man, I probably <laughs> oh, would you have naughty taken men. a very different life path. <laughs> oh, you naughty, naughty men. <laughs> that was a crazy boarding house, although that was the flaw in his plan, too, is like if any detective realizes that the guy in who is there at the heist uh, is pals with a guy who melts down metal... <laughs> yeah. The jig is Today, up. At that, at that moment, the jig is up. Today, there's a computer that just goes like, bing, and yeah. then they, they just find that out. Yeah, but back then, it was, a, it was an innocent time. It was. It was very different. All right, before we continue, a word from our first sponsor. It's Hulu Plus. Now, I'm sure you've all tried Hulu.com, but what I want to talk about today is Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere. Stream it on your TV or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. Why stand in line or ride a train and just stare at your feet? You could be watching your favorite shows on Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus is also a great way to binge watch your favorite shows or discover new shows and get caught up. This is what I've been watching on Hulu Plus. Um, I just got a TiVo. TiVo's got Hulu Plus integrated. My Apple TV's got Hulu Plus integrated. My iPad's got Hulu Plus integrated. But I've been on the TiVo watching The Thick of It, which is a British comedy. It's really funny. It stars Peter Capaldi, who is the next Doctor Who. But in this, he's a foul-mouthed Scottish political fixer. It's got a very Spinal Tap kind of feel to it. There are a lot of uh, understated jokes. There are confused people who are doing confused things. Um, It's actually the closest, I think, in vibe to Spinal Tap of any show that I have ever seen. It is really great, and it's on Hulu Plus, so check it out. Hulu Plus, $7.99 a month. That's $7.99 for all the shows and movies you can watch. Catch up on current shows. Binge on an old favorite. Catch a great movie. Watch these British shows like The Thick of It. You can do it all on Hulu Plus. And right now you can try Hulu Plus for a couple weeks absolutely free on me when you go to HuluPlus.com slash Snell. That's my name, S-N-E-L-L. Or go to our show page on 5 by 5 For this episode, it's 5x5.tv slash incomparable slash 156 and click on the Hulu Plus link. Now make sure you use my favorite URL on the web this week. HuluPlus.com slash Snell. You get the extended free trial. They know that we sent you. It helps us keep the lights on at the incomparable, and it gives you a better deal. One more time, extended free trial, HuluPlus.com slash Snell. And thanks to Hulu Plus for sponsoring the incomparable. All right, the killing yes. is, is in... Uh, Slightly different in tone. D- yeah, let's, let's bring every... Now that we've had the, the light laughs and, uh, and life-affirming comedy of... Uh, of uh, the Lavender Hill mob. Let's talk about the killing and open up a vein. <laughs> Life is worthless and you will fail. That's you know. the message of the killing, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It is. It's the last line in the movie. Ah, what's the eh, difference? What's the difference? Yeah. Little little dogs are annoying. That was what I took. Oh, away. And old ladies. <laughs> old ladies make another appearance. Steer clear of the old bats if you're going to be uh, pulling off a caper is the lesson I've taken. Little dogs and English schoolgirls are problems. Right. Are, are impediments. To your caper. And the French. And make sure your suitcase locks. So yeah. I will now recount the plot of The Killing. It will be very difficult as they use nonlinear storytelling yes, in the movie. Yes, this is another technique. You know, and this was one of uh, an early uh, an early movie to use nonlinear storytelling. And apparently it was not a well-received technique yeah. at the time. If I, if I may, I'll back this with some music from the film. Okay. 
So, Sterling Hayden. <laughs> Sterling Hayden is uh, fresh out of prison, fresh out of the uh, fresh out of the Gray Bar Hotel, but he's not going to let that get him down. No, he's planning a caper. A little caper. It's um, he's gonna rob a, a racetrack. He's gonna gonna take them of all their money, and he's uh, enlisted uh, not crooks. He points out, but just people with a little larceny in them, and uh, they all have their reasons for participating. There's the there's the um, uh, Elisha Cook character who's got a money grubbing wife, and there's a there's a, a bartender at the racetrack whose wife is very sick, and he needs the money to to help her get better. Um, there's the cop who appears to be in very bad gambling debts. He he makes uh, Kevin Spacey in L.A. Confidential look like McGruff the Crime Dog, like Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential. All right, yeah. all right, fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, and then there's the the old man who's bankrolling them. Who who I. Kind of has taken a shine to Sterling Hayden. <laughs> hey, yeah. let's go away together after this, you oh, and yeah, I. We'll, yeah. we'll go to Vermont and... Interesting scene. <laughs> open totally a bre- bed and breakfast together. Let's talk yeah. about the... Let's, can we talk about the great roles for women in this movie? No, well, yeah. <laughs> well, and now we're, that we're done with that. Uh. So, yeah. Um, I already mentioned uh, Elisha Cook's wife, who is a... Um, Gold a, a digger. Money-grubbing money harlot. Yep. Let's um, not forget. Yeah. Just a terrible, one of the most terrible human beings you will ever meet. Yes. <laughs> um, Sterling Hayden has a girlfriend, and she is just She's not pretty, look- and she's not very smart. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah. that scene, I had forgotten how bad that scene was, just in terms of the, I believe, I've always believed anything that you've told me. Just yeah. Anything. I waited for you five years while you were in prison, because you're such a great guy. I think the best way to describe uh, Sterling Hayden's girlfriend in that movie is present. <laughs> or possibly liquored up. I don't yeah, even... <laughs> Well, She's very supportive and self-loathing. And apart too, from the yes. sickly wife, that's about it for, for Lady. Steve mentioned the blaring music. I, um, in addition to Elisha Cook being in Star Trek, the, the music in this movie is actually by one of the two or three mm-hmm. uh, core uh, Star Trek composers. So... I had moments where I was waiting for Captain Kirk to begin uh, a fist fight in the middle of the killing because it's basically that same kind of blaring horns kind of music, and it's there's a lot of it. There's oh, a- I swear, as those jockeys were going by in that opening scene, I, I was sure I was going to see gladiators come through. I was waiting for the <laughs> Gorn to come out and interrupt the horse race. <laughs> start playing Fizbin in the middle of the movie. Yeah, I just... I, it would have been great if Kirk had fought the giant Russian guy. That's all I'm saying. Oh, the wrestler, yeah. So there are two. Uh, there are two other people in this. In this. In this caper, they're they're ancillary characters. One is a chess loving wrestler, the who, best uh, characters in the world, <laughs> who is commissioned to basically start a fight to to provide the distractions so, so Sterling Hayden can get in the unauthorized area and and steal the money. And he Nikolai is great. Volkov Senior. Yeah, it is like, and and this guy was a real wrestler and apparently a pal of Stanley Kubrick's, and uh, and uh, he he is just great. You gotta he's, love the scene where they rip his shirt. <laughs> the shirt which is clearly designed to be. And wrestling. it looks like he's wearing another shirt underneath. Yeah, it's a torn ha- in half right down the back. Uh, the the part I love about the fight that he starts is the cops run at him in waves. <laughs> That's right. Is is like judo like flips him and yeah. driver and. Yeah, this WWF match breaks out in the middle of the film. Let's run at him two at a time instead of all of us at once surrounding him. <laughs> Hitting him with truncheons. Let's give him, give him a chance to beat up on us. 
You know, though, I would say that that and uh, and the Roddy Piper fight scene, uh, the Keith David Roddy Piper fight scene from They Live, are probably the two best fight scenes I have ever seen <laughs> in any film. Both professional wrestlers. I came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum and help Sterling and Hayden in the game. heist, and I've just done that third thing. But you couldn't understand what I said as I did it. And and the, and, the, and then you've got the teeth gritting sharpshooter. Yes, uh, with a with the guy with the rifle. The other the other way that they're distracting all the cops is that they're going to shoot, <laughs> shoot the horse. horse in the middle of a race, <laughs> which seems excessive. Is there a reason that they that they target the one horse? By the way, because he's going to be the, they he, explain the it briefly. He's the front runner, and if you shoot the front runner, then other horses might uh, collapse into him and create more of a ruckus and a scene. And it creates more of an alibi because there are more potential reasons why somebody might want to take down a horse that's running well than one that sucks. Right. I want to distract the crowd too and just gets everybody's attention. He uh, he insults the wrong guy, uh, and uh, does not get away. No one really gets away in this movie. It all ends horribly. No, but the the. Not to get out of line, but this is a non-linear narrative, so what the hell. Yeah. Uh, at 4.39, Johnny was sitting by the racetrack. Oh, that narrator. So there is a, there is a narrator. Whoever anyway, the hell he is. So, so he shoots the, the horse, and like within 10 seconds, there's a cop standing there telling him to freeze. Where the heck did the cop come from? Also, that cop shoots him pretty fast. Really fast? Yeah, well, yeah. That was bad. I, I'm just saying that's really bad luck that you have. Well, to you, have you a also cop ran over by. a horseshoe, Jason. It was all about bad luck. Well, that was bad luck. You know, in the '50s, lots of car thieves would wander the track and uh, yeah, shake down Edsel's or shoot horses. All right. Before we continue talking about old movies, I want to pause for a second to talk about an old friend of the podcast, a previous sponsor returning this week. It's HostGator. HostGator.com. It's a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can get you up and running with monthly hosting plans. There are one-click installs, tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you are a more advanced user, if you're a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans. They've got VPS and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees I love this number, 99.9% uptime, and that's no matter your size or your needs. If you're a WordPress user, you don't have to install WordPress and get it all up and running. They have a one-click install that gets it going. They have an optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. That is huge. They have free site builder tools. They're super easy to use. And if you find yourself needing any help, they've got 24-7 support to make sure everything is running smoothly. Now, here's the deal. You need to head on over to HostGator.com. That's H-O-S-T-G-A-T-O-R, like the Florida Gators, and learn more. When you decide to purchase, even though I'm not Dan, my name is not Dan, you've got to use the special code Dan sent me. That's right. Dan sent me, when you go to HostGator, you'll get 30% off everything, and you'll thank me, who's not Dan, and you'll thank Dan, who is Dan, and you'll thank the good people at HostGator. So thanks to HostGator again for sponsoring The Incomparable. Yeah, so the, the, the narrator, Phil, you were mentioning that this wasn't well-received because they, they definitely have the interlocking timelines. In fact, there, there are they, we visit the bar at the... Uh, at the racetrack. Uh, right, the heist actually unfolds. They they keep rolling back to different... Basically, they tell it from the perspective of everyone who's participating in this in this heist. So you keep seeing the same thing over and over again. And I, I kind of like that bit, but, you know, but at there, the time... There are movies was, where that's done well, and in this one, there really isn't that much point. Of yeah. 
because no, you're not really I, gaining anything from the other guy's perspective of the same scene. Just, I get I mean, you. It could have just as well it, been it, linear. Well, yeah, it builds tension a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I appreciated it. Uh, I see what he was going for. My my best guess is that he sort of assumed that people wouldn't get it if he was a little more ambitious with yeah. it. And in fact, I think the Variety review at the time called that the style somewhat confusing. Right. Even though it's really not that confusing. It's, in it's this not. Case. You know, I thought the narrator made it more confusing because there well, was the so narrator much... was was added basically because oh, this is very confusing. Add a narrator, and the rumor is that <laughs> Stanley Kubrick so hated the narration that he made the narration deliberately confusing. I again, uh, <laughs> this could be apocryphal, but but who knows? Four days earlier, the narrator is so precise <laughs> that it's like yes, at if four days earlier, then three minutes earlier, then two minutes later. It's just it's so precise in these. <laughs> Keep shifting around. I'm like, whoa, seventy whoa. years later. What's happening Just now? Show the film. It does happening? have the feel of someone who is very resentful that he had to add a narrator. I will, I will say that. Yeah, yeah. There are some great lines in this film. There, That's there are a good some one. very oh, yeah. great lines. The the That's closing line of "Eh, what's the difference?" is fantastic. Whatever the hell Maurice is saying is all pretty good. And then the parrot gets a good line too when uh, when George goes down. He actually, you can hear the parrot sort of say, "Ain't fair, ain't fair, ain't fair." Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the the dialogue was done by Jim Thompson, the hard-boiled crime writer, I believe. Yep. Uh, author of The Grifters and After Dark, My Sweet, and things that got adapted into other really good dark movies. Right. Because this is basically, it's a film noir, this this movie, in a way. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize how noir yeah. it was, though, until the, uh, the so Shakespeare-like noir. ending, which I did not see coming at all, given the rest of the film. All right, so at the end... Um, what we get we get set up a long time at the beginning of the movie. It gets set up, and then I forgot about it. I, I was like, "Oh, right." right. Uh, Elisha, Elisha cooks, cooks money, money grubbing, money grubbing whore of a wife has a has a little action has on a the boyfriend side. Boyfriend who is a thug who is going to steal the stolen money and double cross, or I guess he's not in it, so it's not a double cross. He's gonna he's gonna rob the robbers. Right, and so he does. He walks in, and they're still waiting because the guy's been delayed. They're they're waiting for for the money to get there. Yes, and Elisha Cook Jr. Basically, he's got Who a was gun set up by his money grubbing whore of a wife to think that uh, Sterling, Sterling Hayden raped her, hitting yeah. on her. Yeah, so at the very he, least, so he snaps, and so he's got a gun prepared to shoot uh, Sterling Hayden. Right, so he shoots a few times. And a few times. several, <laughs> several, several of the bullets pass through multiple people multiple times and kill them because it seemed like he sh- he only shot you know five or six times and yet everybody That's... is extremely dead. Everybody well, is to dead. Realize that uh, the reason that he was bleeding and shot up was because there was one shotgun blast that was gotten off by the by the lover. I initially thought he actually shot himself a few times. The lover also has a has a little accomplice too, and he fires as yeah, well. There's right. a lot of shooting. I believe several several gaffers died during that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's dead except for Elijah. Ones that Cook. hadn't already been killed by the music. And Elijah Cook's eyes are wide, and he's like, <gasps> and he's got he's got blood all over him, and he's completely he, he, yeah. He gets hit by some stray fire. He doesn't die immediately. That was when the movie turned awesome to me. Because I really did not see that coming. He stumbles out into Sterling Hayden's car. And Sterling Hayden, of course, avoids all of this because he got stuck in traffic. Yeah, because it's L.A. L.A., man. L.A. Yeah, but then he's undone by the ability, like, by carry-on luggage, basically. By petty bureaucrats <laughs> and a, f- well, there's, a poodle. There, 
Let's well, so LAX. So we'll we'll get to we'll get to the 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 problems of the airline industry <laughs> right. in the night. Oh, if only I had paid attention to the TSA guidelines when so, buying my suitcase. But so Elisha Cook goes back to his money grubbing wife. She's awful, and and she's packing, and she's saying as he walks in, "Oh, boyfriend who double crossed those guys, let's go away." And then she turns. Have you and goes, finished <gasps> double crossing my husband yet? Oh crap! <laughs> oh no! That so idiot! She pulls a blanket <laughs> over her suitcase. She's like, "I'm just taking some stuff to the cleaners," uh, you know. And she tries and to make she a good gets taken to the cleaners. And Elisha Cook, it looks like he's gone blind. He's like literally acting like he's blind. He's like his eyes are wide and he's looking around and he. And he shoots her, too. God, that is the most marvelously shot scene, too, when he's sort of draped over the birdcage and oh. it's shot from sort of down and to the left. And the shadows are just, they really highlight his face there. It's a gorgeous scene, and I think it's its probably the best scene in the film for me. He, he asks her one last time for some help to call the call an ambulance or something. Yeah. And she's like, ah, do it yourself. He's like, all right, then uh, <laughs> that answers my question. <laughs> the, the, we're, we're having some fun with the, the plotting and whatnot, but it's a beautifully shot movie and, and just uh, great use of shadow, great use of lighting. Yep. Um, many of the times you see the characters um, throughout the, uh, throughout the movie behind bars of some sort. And it's, uh, yes. it, it's really a, um, you you can really see Stanley Kubrick sprinkling some Kubrick dust on it, and uh, this was the movie just that, the right amount. Yeah, where he kind of made his bones, and from here he made uh, uh, Paths of Glory, and then three years later he did Spartacus, and uh, and so this was kind of where he uh, you know broke out of the cocoon and became a a beautiful butterfly who made haunting movies. <laughs> well, his his uh, idea at the time was to make good movies cheap. And, you know, he said, just because it's cheaply made doesn't mean it can't be good. Right. And doesn't uh, mean it can still lose money, apparently, though. Roger Corman thought the same thing, except for the good part. <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in the chat room, uh, the, the good uh, doctor, Dr. Drang, uh, points out something that I noticed, too, which is oh, there's yeah. that, that tracking shot of right. Sterling Hayden walking through the rooms. And it's just, you know, it's this long sliding tracking shot. And that's the one I noticed. And I was like, aha, I think this director might make something of himself. Well, the other thing that's nice about that is it's not it's not just utterly pointless because it sets up the layout of the room for, oh, for yeah, later yeah. when the confrontation yeah. happens. It, it is showy enough that I'm uh, that I'm also thinking this is a director who wants to point out that he is capable of yes. doing good work that is showy and 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 interesting like this. But right. it's good. It's it's very good. Yeah, the the narrator really sabotaged this movie for me. That was that I kept getting back back to that narrator who I think I'm not sure who the narrator is, but he sounds like one of those guys who is probably a an android or or a or a world consciousness computer or something on Star Trek. He's got that it's booming very voice. Dragnetty. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. What, Dragnet was exactly what I thought of. Too. But I think yeah. the thing the thing that that it helped for me was the fact that. It, it set sort of a dragnet feel to the thing, and then when the whole the slaughter occurs, <laughs> I was I was utterly unprepared for that because I had been you know prepared for more of a Joe Friday kind of a, kind of an ending. And there are no heroes in this movie, not a, no. not a one. Even more than dragnet, it's Just a lot poodle. like <laughs> it's a lot like the Naked City, uh, both the movie and then the TV series, which is different from the film, but they both have that kind of narration. It's a little more artful in Naked City, but uh, it's very much, and then, two hours earlier, and that kind of thing. 
It's much more, and and it focuses more on the people of the story as opposed to the cops who are supposedly the heroes of the show. And um, so it's it it almost struck me like a, a spoof of the Naked City kind of narration. I I had a question for you guys, which is what what in your impression is the title a reference to making a Ma- killing making a they're killing gonna, they're gonna make a right. killing and then people get killed see it's a pun it is a pun <laughs> but i don't know i there are other things in there that i i think you could attribute it to i mean there is obviously oh, yeah. as we were just talking about the bloodbath scene could fall into that i thought strangely enough the horse killing the horse, the horse yeah um since that's sort of like the only real you know, in planned murder, if you can call it murder. It's not even murder. It's killing a horse. I don't know what it is. In the end, does killing the horse actually serve much purpose? That That is the thing. Watching this movie again, I thought, man, that the killing the horse seems just gratuitous. Really unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. They could have distracted people. He could have driven his little car onto the racetrack and caused a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago at the Preakness uh, Stakes in, in, in Maryland, some a drunk guy ran onto the track. That could have worked. Sure. Yeah. You don't have to shoot horses. Yeah, they should have sent the Russian guy to, to run onto yeah. the track. <laughs> Wrestle yeah. the horse. <laughs> Wrestle the horse to submission. <laughs> that way they could have saved $5,000. Well, I guess I, there are a lot of sort of small things that go wrong with the with the heist, right? I mean, the the... The elder gentleman shows up drunk, and you keep expecting something horrible to happen right. there. Never be polite I, to a parking attendant. I think this is just another one of those things where you've been you've been set up to believe that uh, the horse is going to go down and take out the entire field, and then he doesn't, and you think, oh, maybe that's going to screw things up. By killing the front runner, suddenly all of the long shots have a chance. Yeah, and whoever wins the race, that's going to cause a rush of people on onto the. Uh, the, the betting windows. Yeah, it adds more confusion. And it'll cause chaos. In, yeah, in the in the building where they're they've already got the fight, and he's already, you know, Sterling Hayden um, goes up there with a mask and and holds them up at at, uh, at gunpoint. Um, there's also we didn't even mention there's like the guitar case and there's the flower box and they've got rifles in them and they they ha- exchange them all at this sort of seedy like uh, trailer motel place. That's run by a very friendly Italian man. Joe Piano. Joe Piano. Uh, speaking of scenes that don't really make any sense, when, when Sterling Hayden goes back to collect the money, he goes to the wrong like bungalow hmm. briefly. There's like a second where he walks up and some guy's like, what? And he's like, oh. Wrong, well, that's great, though, because it scares the hell out of you. You think Yeah, so? I think that's, 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 that's meant to build tension. In, that's yeah. meant yeah. to be jarring. No, and Oh, God, what, what now? Oh, okay. And then he goes into his room, and the dramatic in, entering the hotel room <laughs> theme kicks in. It scares the hell out of you all over. <laughs> and there's and nothing yeah. in there. It's just the money. <laughs> so, okay. So they throw that. They have this clever thing. They put, they put all the money in the duffel bag, and that's a great scene because it goes on. You know, I got so tense in watching that scene because you're thinking, you're knowing, time is ticking, time is ticking, gotta go, gotta gotta go, hurry up, hurry up. And he makes you watch this clerk incompetently stuff loose cash into a bag for, it seems like for minutes. Very matter-of-factly, He's just very slowly stuffing it in. Finally, he's like, that's enough, just close it up. That's enough. Um, so I, I really like that. And then they throw the bag out the window and they retrieve the bag later and there's misdirection and that's great. But the thing that gets me is he gets a, he gets a, a suitcase because th- they know that it was in a duffel bag. So I guess he wants to switch it for a suitcase so he can take it on the flight and all that. And he gets a big suitcase. And, and the thing that killed me is he's got a perfectly contained duffel bag full of money. 
So he drives out into the countryside behind some trees, gets out, and empties all the money out of the duffel bag. It's blowing around and tries to stuff it in and like sit on the suitcase. It's like, why don't you just put the duffel bag in the suitcase? Then you've double you've double bagged it. And the answer is revealed several minutes later when it turns out that your airlines you know, we think the airlines are bad now, but airlines didn't care about you even in the fifties. They won't let you check your carry on, ba- take your carry on bag on the plane. You got to check it. I mean, he couldn't have fit that underneath a seat. And then a lady has a dog, and it runs out onto the tarmac, and all of a sudden, all of your stolen money is blown away by a giant turbo, by a jet engine, turboprop engines. Yeah, uh, I, I had two thoughts as I was watching that scene. The first, the first thought was that this ending wouldn't have worked today because with all the security <laughs> oh yeah yeah even your carry i'm I, i'll take i gotta take the money with me on the carry-on bag they're still gonna check it sir yeah they're gonna say oh that's full of money that's well, not the allowed. old rod with the poodle would never have been let out onto the tarmac either, no so well it, that. that and 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 my other thought was boy american airlines i'm not sure why they participated in this <laughs> oh. movie <laughs> To show that they're sticklers for policy. We yeah. here at American Airlines disapprove of track heists. That one manager really takes a lot of delight in like telling him he's going to bump him off the flight. I'll give you your money back. We here at American Airlines really want to follow the rules. We're not the kind of people who would rob a track. And we want to emphasize that. <laughs> if you refuse to follow the rules, we'll happily refund your money. I, I wonder if, like, American Airlines agreed to be in that movie that we come across really reasonable in that movie. People are going to sit there and go, wow, that's the airline I want to fly because they don't brook nonsense. No, no shenanigans here. Yes. That's the airline of snitches. I'm not taking them. No giant suitcases <laughs> stuffed with 50s under my seat. Here at TWA, we'll never rat you out to the cops. <laughs> you will get away scot-free. TWA, the airline for crooks. Just, you've got a bat. You've got a sack full of loose cash and what do you do 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 you keep it in the sack or do you say sort of like you're going to be in one of those uh little plexiglass booths where you have to catch all the money in five minutes or whatever at the state fair do you say oh this is great i'm outside there's a breeze blowing i'm just gonna pull over to the side of the road and and try to stuff it in this uh, suitcase it's just sterling hayden not the smartest move that's what i'm saying i would just keep driving yeah, why? Drive. also not too smart and not too pretty. Right, well, yeah. you know, or why fly? Just drive. I know. I yeah. know your girl who's not too bright and not too pretty is waiting for you back home. But just, just drive. And then the the old man could have come with them on the, on the trip if they had driven. <laughs> and then the old man, yes, it could have been a lovely time. <laughs> that is a strange scene. I I, I hate to keep harping on yep. that. <laughs> but there's a scene where the he says to the old man who's been so kind to him. Well, I guess we'll. The caper is about to come to an end, and we'll not see each other. Hey, you could take me with you. Don't get married. Marry, marriage is for suckers. Nothing better than two guys hanging out with each other. Yeah. Well, is is he actually is he actually expressing an attraction there in 1956? Is that I, is I, clear? I, it's possible. He, he, it's That's framed the way in the I sense of it. you're the son I never had, but it, it's uh, it's kind of weirdly put. Well, and then yeah. he said, you know, you, you don't want to marry the wrong person. Well, yeah. That, that, I don't know. It, it seems a little forward thinking for 1956, and that's why it took me by surprise. In a movie today, I would absolutely say that's what it was about. But it's plausible in the in the noir books of the 50s. And it explains why he's he's drunk at the track later, too, because he's been spurned. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and it's it's the kind of thing you couldn't you couldn't say outright in a film back then. But yeah. you could you could hint at it in the books. Right. And considering Jim Thompson, it's like, eh, plausible. 
<laughs> and I just saw um, North by Northwest, also from the 50s. And uh, that, yeah. that, of course, has Martin Landau yes. professing his and undying James, love. I mean, I mean loyalty. Mason. Loyalty. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's what it is. For Call James it my Mason. woman's intuition, if yeah. you will. Oh, my God. <laughs> So yeah, it's there. It's a subtext. Maybe Save that one for another time. That's a great movie. Yeah. Yes. So I, I guess we should we should sum this up. Yeah. Um, I, something I mentioned earlier is is I I do think it's interesting that both these movies they they do have essentially the same ending, which is crime doesn't pay, friends, and uh you know and they share the fact. Another thing that I thought was interesting is that in both of these films, these are honorable thieves. You know, you don't nobody's out to backstab the others. Well, at least for within a given group. Yeah, but that, he was—he's in a different. But he's a—he's a, like he's a, a dirty group. thief. He's a bad. Yeah, thief. I love that. You gotta love that scene in Lavender Hill Mob where the the guys are like, "Well, we can't really go to Paris with you, but we trust you. You're the straightest guys we know." Yeah, you know, like that's right. that to me is such a. But it's such a a counterintuitive, hilarious scene where they're like, "Yeah, well, we'll we're sure you would come back and give us our share of the money because why wouldn't you?" <laughs> Whereas in this, in the killing, Sterling Hayden's just like, "Up, oh, taking off for the money. Everyone else is probably yeah. dead. I'm not gonna check." <laughs> Well, they, they had they had agreed to that ahead of time, though it wasn't as it wasn't the narrator explained quite clearly. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> so, are you suggesting Sterling Hayden heard the narrator two Is minutes that... earlier? Twenty minutes ago, Elisha Cook shot everybody, so you should really get a move on. Crime doesn't pay. This is all I'm saying. No, crime doesn't pay. No, I think that I think you know we've had some laughs tonight, fellas, but really. Crime doesn't pay. This this is the freeze frame where we all laugh, right? I, I had this caper in mind where I was going to appear as a guest in the podcast as a distraction. And then my crew was going to rob the podcast of all its fortunes. Uh-oh. Which is, yeah, but, fell short but, when you realize we have no money. Exactly. There's no money in <laughs> podcasting. And now a word from our sponsor. Wait, I've already, <laughs> I've already had all the sponsors. Folks, those, those airline regulations you think are so stupid are there to protect you against petty criminals. Yeah. Where That's would you rank thinking. these in the list of great caper movies? To the uh, extent that you've seen caper movies, I I love the Lavender Hill Mob. I have seen it many many times. I like the Killing and have seen it many times, but it's really hard to watch now because, again, because everything has been done so many times. Right. But also because it's it's I don't know. It's like two inches away from being a mystery science theater kind of movie because everything is, oh, Johnny, don't do that. And everybody is just, you know, harping on the name Johnny. Johnny! Um, Johnny! Johnny! What are you doing? You know, um, and then and then you have the narrator and the music. And, you know, it's it's sort of like the ultimate almost bad noir movie. It's great. You know, it's got some wonderful stuff, but it's just so hard for me to watch now. Whereas the Lavender Hill Mob is just charming. Yeah. It's, you know, and uh, I I like that, well, I, I like that there's this sort of tradition of, of a shaggy dog ending in in caper films, like Ocean's Eleven, the original. Um, where, where they burn the money. Where they burn the money. The, the one guy dies and they go, well, we'll get the money out in the coffin. And they don't realize that he's going to be cremated. And they all kind of walk out of the funeral going, oh... And that's the yeah. end of the movie. That's a great ending. Um, and, you know... Uh, Spoiler horn. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I I would put Lavender Hill Mob higher up than The Killing. I, I And also, 
what I put right with Lavender Hill Mob is A Fish Called Wanda, which was directed by Charles Crichton, who directed Lavender Hill Mob. That is a great movie. I'd actually put that above Lavender Hill Mob because um, the plot's just a little tighter. I'd, I'd say The Sting. If you're if you're looking for the best caper movie, probably The Sting is the one I'd... The Sting? Excellent. Oh, yeah, would, yeah. I'd put that in my top five. Yeah. I watched that just, just recently, just a few months ago. Again, for the like fourth or fifth time. And if you're looking for a uh, a modern day caper movie with kind of the life affirming uh, love of the killing, uh, <laughs> I I I would go with uh, House of Games, which is a, a oh yeah a David Mamet movie oh. from before he he went right off his nut, and uh, <laughs> it is it is uh, terrific. Also, yeah. the Spanish Prisoner. The Spanish Prisoner is quite good. David Mamet's yeah. made quite a few good um, heist. Uh, I enjoyed heist. I was about to say heist, heist movies, good. including, but not limited to, heist. <laughs> that has one of my favorite lines in it. Everybody wants Everybody money. Wants That's money. why they call it money. <laughs> yeah. Just, I just, I love, it's DeVito. It's just a great, great delivery. I had a hard time getting into Lavender Hill Mob. I got to be honest. Uh, I am with you on this one. Yeah, I had a hard time getting into it. And I think that may be why when, when it turned into a zany romp through the police expo and and, uh and various cop cars running around and all of that that i kind of woke up a little bit but i i was um i I found the the first part it just it was hard for me to access it it just it felt a little bit sleepy to me the killing i would pay to i paid attention the entire time i did feel like this was you know i I was watching a a a noir caper kind of movie and it was hard-boiled and the narrator was very confusing although funny i mean i just started to laugh at all the detail that the narrator gave and and um i and 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 was very tense during the the actual uh caper portion i i really did feel that tension of the you know come on put the money in the bag put the money in the bag uh you know don't shoot the horse all of that (laughs) i don't know the killing i guess i i appreciated it although i probably I'm not sure I would revisit it. I, I don't know. I kind of like the Elijah Cook stuff, though. I, I think maybe I liked. I, I think maybe I liked the killing more, but I n- I'm not sure I would. I, I think I can see that it's maybe not as good a movie as the Lavender Hill Mob, but I think I maybe enjoyed it more because uh, parts of it were mm. so over the top and kind of uh, almost. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't really know. It's like it's like it feels. Uh, in some ways, like uh, oh, this is the kind of movie that they made the crime movies that they would make, and it's and it's kind of too much of everything. It, it was also a huge influence on Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I can see that. I was going to yeah, say was this they, is uh, a, this is where Car- T- Quentin Tarantino stole all of his tricks. Yeah, he he said that point blank. Phil had asked us at one point to consider whether uh, some of these films might bear a remake, and uh, I, I think in this case, if they remade The Killing. Modern audiences would say it was ripping off Tarantino. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't. Do you think it has? Do you think the appreciation of some of these things has to do more with you know also your exposure to things of this similar ilk? I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I, I love the I love Lavender Hill Mob, and that's because yeah, the thing that these two movies have in common for me is actually both of them were shown to me by my dad, um, who is not a aficionado much of you know modern movies, but he he really loves classic movies, especially noir movies. And so he introduced me to both of these, and they are they're distinct and, and yet similar in some ways. But I, that's what I associate them with is the movie that my my dad sat down with me and watched, and, and I watched many old movies with him when I was growing up, 
you know, um, a lot of them comedies, but, uh, you know, many of them in later years when I was a teenager in more movies, you know, that were playing at the local movie house. And so I, I gained a lot of appreciation for them in that way, even if, if at times they felt kind of slow and ponderous, especially as I've gotten older, I really see all the intricacies and the, mm. you know, the, the construction of them. And, and I, I really like both of these movies. I, I do think the Lavender Hill Mob, I think is probably the one I prefer just because I really love Alec Guinness. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fan of both of them. Also, not only is this surprisingly directed by, uh, by the director of A Fish Called Wanda, the cinematographer is the cinematographer of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark and the other three acknowledged Indiana Jones <laughs> movies, as well as, uh, you know, like the Italian, the Italian job, you know. The, and he's the, still alive, the too, I believe. He's 100 years old. Yes, yes. he is. Yeah. So, Phil, what have we... Uh, have, are you surprised by our reactions? Do you find, you know, what what have we, uh, what have you taught us? What do you, what have we missed? No, I, I I think you you pretty much got it. I I was I I I was thinking actually that the Lavender Hill Mob would be a a hard sell for today's uh, today's audience because it's not um, it's not a comedy style currently in vogue. It's it's a uh, it's it's a, a little relaxed. Yeah, exact. Very good. Yeah, that that's a very good adjective to de- to describe it. <laughs> it's it, it's one of those things where you 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 would read if you're reading the story and you go, oh, that's funny, as opposed to <laughs> laughing out out loud. It's like the a Reader's Digest caper film. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and um, rewatching the killing because it's been a few years since I've seen that. Um, uh, didn't hold up as well as uh, as I had remembered and. Um, uh, some of the points about God that that soundtrack. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> and the narrator, and just it it it. Uh, I I learned a little bit too, fellas, and not just that crime doesn't, doesn't pay. pay. But we did learn that we all we all learned that. Yeah, well, I, you'd have to be a fool to miss that lesson. Yeah, that was an important <laughs> lesson. That was kind of hammered home. That was not very subtle. No, crime crime pays just very 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 briefly. Well, for a year, for Alec a year Guinness. in some cases, yeah, that's that's pretty brief. Alec Guinness is basically the only one who gets anything out of this. The wages of sin are death, but the hours are great. You know what? Frankly, a year and Audrey Hepburn, I <laughs> I would go for it. You risk the jail time. Sure. Yeah, got that to think that's back reasonable up. that's reasonable i'm with you in a post-credit sequence alec guinness is, has his thugs waiting outside the hotel knocks the british uh, constable unconscious and he uh flees and to recruited to join the avengers he flees to tatooine where he becomes <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I do want to make mention of what i think is probably the best gag line in the film which is uh forget who's saying it, it might be the police the, the guy who's uh, who's caught the painter character and uh, is sort of shaking him down because he thinks he's stolen something from the street vendor. Right. And the uh, the cop yells 999, and the guy's response is, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Would we recommend these movies to friends and loved ones? Hmm. And oh, absolutely. podcast listeners yeah, who are absolutely. both friends and loved ones. I I actually watched The Lavender Hill Mob with both of the kids. And they they paid attention for the whole thing, so I can't wait to show them the killing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think you could show people the Lavender Hill Mob, a modern audience the Lavender Hill Mob, and get away with it more reasonably. If you have a, if it's a friend you know, and you know that they can laugh at uh, anything excess 
and and uh, kind of kooky stuff, I think the killing might work because again, that narrator is really hilarious actually in his way. But oh, yeah. I, I think if I had to pick one for most tastes, I would probably say the Lavender Hill Mob because either you like the first part, which is which has the tone that 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 you guys have described, it's relaxed, or if that doesn't work for you, you know, halfway through it becomes the zany chase picture for a while. So Friday at twelve twenty seven a.m., Jason decided which of the movies he liked better. <laughs> Thank you, narrator. That's funny. I would have said exactly the opposite. The killing worked for me. It uh, it held my attention, and I think your average modern viewer gets over the uh, the narrator pretty quickly because they just assume it's of the period. Huh. And uh, the Lavender Hill Mob. I spent a lot of time kind of looking at my watch. You know, it. I I couldn't decide whether I appreciated that it was relaxing or I was just kind of bored by it. Mm. And uh, while I did enjoy the film, I mean, uh, Dave, David used the, uh, the term charming, and it is. But, uh, you know, it's a little slow, and the humor, I don't think, works that much. But you're a little slow, and your humor doesn't work, <laughs> oh. Steve. This is the conflict <laughs> that our listeners have asked for all this time. Take it back! No, I I love Steve too much to be. Angry. It's like you've killed Obi Wan anew. I ultimately I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I just it uh, it was just a little too slow, and I just don't. Uh, I, I I I'm not sure who I would try to recommend this to, unless it was somebody that was specifically asking for older movies just to gain breadth, kind of like what we're doing here. How about a Russian wrestler who likes to play chess? Would you recommend it to him? God, I love that guy. <laughs> seriously man i could watch two hours of just him <laughs> you're in luck steve i've got the movie for you did, did anybody um, understand enough of his speech upon leaving no, the chess God, academy no. he was he told the guy like if I, do... if I basically like if he gets locked up or something he's like call this guy and tell him i need his services right yeah but which guy what guy who are we talking about i don't think i yeah, don't probably think his lawyer we knew yeah like or his quote-unquote lawyer it seems like it could have been important, but I had no clue what he was saying. That's a different movie. It's a totally different movie. There's a movie about breaking him out of prison. It's The Killing 2, Electric Movie. <laughs> I, would, I would so watch Maurice Unleashed. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Maurice good. will be back. <laughs> In The Killing of the English Language. Yes. Maurice and the old lady from the Lavender Hill Mob team up in a, in a wacky movie. Now, <laughs> oh, you naughty wrestler. <laughs> I would watch that movie. That's pretty good. All right. Uh, I, should we should we close up this uh, inaugural edition of Old Movie Club? Have we, uh, yes, we should. <laughs> before the cops it's, come and take us away. The movie is fading into the, the, the mists oh, of time. My hip. Remember me, say these old movies. <laughs> That's right. Watch me again when we're on Turner Classic Movies or one of your streaming services that we don't even know exist because we were made so long ago. Right. <laughs> It's amazing that their their images show up on the on the computers because yeah. they're so old. Well, uh, Phil, thank you so much for suggesting that we watch these movies, and the, and uh, again, they're available for anyone to rent, which is uh, which is again puts you one up on Syracuse with his obscure anime movies. So exactly, yeah, I'm I'm happy I'm happy to have been here. I'm sure I will not be invited back. <laughs> Dan Morin, thank you for being here as always. A distinct pleasure. David Lohr, thank you for being here. Thank you. Anytime. Steve Lutz, you don't need to fly back to your girlfriend. Why don't we go away together in the car? You are a naughty, naughty man. (laughs) 
What's the difference? Eh, what's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference? And Five then- minutes earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so until uh, next time, thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. 